This is The Playbook. I am so excited. This is one of my new favorite superstars. James Maslow, man, you, I was talking about it. You are in my frequency. You're in my neighborhood. So welcome to The Playbook, the new neighborhood that you're always welcome to. Oh, I appreciate it, man. No, it's so great to see you. And you know, we were just speaking about this, the serendipity of you going, hey, can you come in on this exact date at SoFi Stadium? I happen to be on a big tour right now, the Forever Tour with my band Big Time Rush, and we're playing literally attached to SoFi Stadium at YouTube Theater tonight. So I just think that things like that, they're just meant to happen, meant to be. So I'm really Me cool to too, be and I keep the awareness to that. And one of the awareness is, you know, you're selling out all over, and you know, you get to experience live the, the energy or the frequency of an audience. Mm -hmm. Now you have a huge following on TV, you have a huge following in social, but I still like to step on stages. I don't sing, I don't dance. I'm not that talented, but I speak and I'm fairly good at the inspirational, motivational I'd and educational so. speaking, yeah. but there's nothing like standing on a stage. There isn't. And what to you do you like about it? Well, when you think about being an actor, you, you can have a huge audience with the most famous person in the world, but you rarely get to go and meet your fans. Maybe at a, a signing, maybe at a movie premiere, you'll meet a few hundred or a few thousand fans at once. But that's few and far between. Most of your time is spent you know, on set and you, you're very insulated from what it actually, the excitement, you know, what it actually means to be a fan of yours. And then you think about social media and it's even more reserved. There are social media stars that are gigantic who have like only ever met fans just randomly walking down the street. Most people in those categories will never really understand what it's like to be a musician or a motivational speaker like you, anybody who gets to go out there and stand on stage in front of a live audience. You know, whether it's 500 people or 50,000 people, there's nothing that can replicate that physical energy. He said the frequency of an audience beaming at you, screaming at you, singing with you, dancing with you. It's quite literally addicting. It's so much fun, and I wouldn't trade any moment on stage for anything. I'm gonna bring up a word that I think of when I met you, and I keep on coming back to it as I get to know you better, and it's called appreciation. Not just in the gracious sense of appreciation, meaning you're a very blessed person and a very grateful person as I get to know you more and more, but you also are an appreciative person, meaning that you add value uh, to everything and everywhere that you go. Um, and I don't think that a lot of people uh, are appreciators anymore. I think a lot of people, because of the social aspects, especially in the sports and entertainment industry, that we've lost perspective. You know, I have my team even. We we do a video and they're like, oh, you know, it didn't do well. It only got 44,000 views. And I'm like, in my head, I, I thank God. I, I, I literally... You know people would love to have 44,000 views? Yeah, like it's this stadium relative. behind me, do you know what it would be like for 44,000 people for me to stand on yeah, the balcony and exactly. like say something? It would be such a thrill. Um, how long have you had that appreciator mentality? Um, and as you get bigger and bigger, which you will, I promise, I've been in this game a long time. I know the guys, Coach Morrow was here with me, the yep. you know Saints and the Indy coach. And you know, I just knew when I met him the first time how big he was going to be as a coach. How do you maintain the appreciator mindset of adding value to everywhere you go and appreciating how blessed you are? There's so many reasons at this point. It's really just natural habit, but it started with a conscious decision, which is when I was a young man, I remember looking around and seeing people. I'm like, hey, I love this aspect of them from my own father to other celebrities I've met. 
And I kind of started thinking, hey, I want to become this type of person. I'm going to take that bit of them. Oh, that comedy from this actor. Oh, that charisma from this random person. I'm just meeting it. But that's how it is, right? And I think over time, you become that person that you strive to be. And you're taking bits and pieces of your experience. If you're not cognizant about it, you're doing it anyways, right? That's how we develop and evolve. Whoever you're around, you're going to mimic them you know, unconsciously. But I, I was conscious of it. And another thing that I was very conscious of is that the A-list people I got to meet. I hate ABC yeah, yeah, to yeah. say it, but just as the, you know, the you, most famous You must people. have heard my 12-year-old son call me a D-lister, so you were embarrassed to say <laughs> ABCD. That's right. I've been called worse. <laughs> I, I, that's why I don't like that list. Yeah, it's, I like it's, it. Uh, it's close to the heart. But no, the, the, the biggest of the big, you know, the unarguably yeah. uh, most famous people in the world generally are like the most normal, the nicest Speaking about appreciation and gratitude, they'll sit there and give you their time as much as they can offer. Whereas some of the people I'm like, oh, I kind of heard of that person. They're acting like this gigantic diva. And it's strange. I think that you mentioned, you know, sports, athletes, even, you know, singers and actors in these industries. Maybe there used to be this concept of if you act like you're the biggest star in the world, in the room, you'll become that. Or if you like, you know, act entitled, you're going to receive it. And I just so wildly disagree. Yeah. Like people, word spreads faster than it ever has. People want to work with nice people. It's so like, just don't be a dick. It's so much easier to <laughs> That's just That's the name be of my nice. next book, man. That should be. Don't the do <laughs> business with dicks. I swear <laughs> I to God. I, I swear. That's the name of my next but, book. So it's... there you go. You're proving my point right now. <laughs> people want to work with people that are easy to get along with and just show up. I mean, half the freaking battle in any job you do is showing up being present and doing the work, you know, even if you're not the greatest, if you're there early every day, if you're nice to be around, like that's going to go a lot further than the princess diva <laughs> over yeah. here. And to get there, you have to be prepared. Another P word for you. And, you know, you're someone that has put in the time, the repetitions and the practice of your art. And I joke around that today's entrepreneur is much like a musician or an actor in the past in several ways. One, People actually want to take pictures with you, have your autograph. Yeah, yeah. You can have a social following. But more importantly, you know, when you used to tell someone you were an entrepreneur or used to tell someone you're an actor or a singer, that meant you worked at the diner. <laughs> right? Oh, yeah. I mean, um, in L.A., that might still be true in some places. But, um. <laughs> right. But all of those um, industries, all of those careers and all those jobs have a lot of rejection. You know, entrepreneurs, musicians and actors have to understand rejection, uh, denial, uh, and it's just part, it's part of the process. Absolutely. And, you know, for you, there's beyond being nice now that you've gotten there and being kind to your future self by being there early and treating people as they should be treated. There's a lot of rejection. There is a lot of what other people think you should do. You know, one of the hardest parts about rejection, James, in our space, when I say our space, I mean actors, entertainers, or, yeah, yeah. or entrepreneurs, is that there's so much rejection and the people close to us don't want us to get hurt. So as we receive more rejection, they're telling us to not do it anymore. And you've yeah. had to face that, I'm sure, early in your life because you were involved sure. in show business so early. How have you been able not only to deal with the rejection, but with the people who love us most, their opinion of the of protecting you from that rejection. I mean, it's easy to look at the statistics and go, you know, I don't want my kid or I don't want my friend to become the most likely scenario of failure in this. You know, you try for you know your entire life and it doesn't work out because that's most people's story, unfortunately. 
it, but you know what though? My mindset as a kid was, is that really any different in any other industry? If you want to be the top percentile in sales, in it, it, it really any industry as an attorney, as a doctor, you want to be the absolute best. The chances of that statistically are probably damn similar to that of an actor, a singer, an entrepreneur, whatever it is. That's how I've always thought about it. I'm like, okay, so if you're going to discourage me from doing this, why am I going to have any confidence to be successful in anything else? So it goes back to, you know, if you don't believe in yourself, nobody's going to believe in you. So it really has to start with you believing in yourself and going out there and continuing to do so. Because the truth is, eventually other people will take notice and kind of start believing as well. And I like this question. I don't ask it that often. Um, you know, with all the rejection and all the challenges, uh, do you ever or have you ever felt like quitting I mean, and doing yeah. something else? Anybody who tells you otherwise is lying, especially early on. You know, it's easy now for people to kind of go, oh, yeah, no, I always believed in them. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, I, that's my favorite oh, I part. Knew, right? I knew we'd be selling out. Yeah, and then they ask you for a loan. Dude, I've always believed oh, in you. Sure, By the yeah. way, I need 10 grand. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Always fun. But look, I've been through it both, you know, up and down. You know, the beginning of Big Time Rush was this huge success. Um, went on to do other movies. And then there were several years where it's like, I wasn't green lighting Marvel films. I'm still not. There's still a lot of growth for me in those verticals. Yeah. That I, I have to earn it. I have to go out there and get it. I'm still being rejected. And I still have to believe in myself, keep, still keep training, putting in the extra reps. I'm not done yet. In fact, in my mind, I'm really just a kind of chapter two. And I plan on writing a very long book. Nice. So it's not, it's an everlasting journey. It's part of the journey. You don't just make it and then life is easy. The people who continue to sustain have longevity in this business. They're working their asses off. It might be a little easier to get in certain doors. They've earned it, but they're still calling. They're still walking through those doors and they're still showing up prepared, doing their job great. So I'm just gracious, you know, grateful to be in a position where I'm actually at chapter two. And I can, I, I can see chapter three, four, and five and beyond, but I got to go out there and make them happen. And to get to chapter two, and I've seen this as an agent, as a marketer, and as my own brand, to get to chapter two, we needed a lot of help. Sure. And what I find, and I transition a lot of professional athletes into the business world, a lot of actors into the business world. And one of the, my favorite things is when they come and like, well, I don't understand, Mr. Meltzer, why, why do I need a, a business coach? And I'll say, Dude, since you've been five, you've had a coach to make you the best and bring the best out of you in your sport or your profession. Why do you think it would be any different in business? Do you still have mentors and coaches uh, for your career? Absolutely. And when it comes to business, I've only recently started realizing exactly what you said. I mean, that's a huge part of the reason why I was excited to come here <laughs> Thank you. and keep getting to chat with you and learn from you. You know, it's, it's easy to get so preoccupied with what you're doing and the way in which you're earning your first bit of money. And for me, that's singing and acting. And, you know, I've done some good deals in real estate and I've done some interesting investments, but it's never been a priority. And in the last couple of years, I've looked around to some of my friends, a lot of times older friends who have been extremely successful. I've realized like, hey, I've just been buddies with this person for a while, but like, Mike O'Hearn, how did you get here? You know, and he's been like an uncle of mine for a long time. And what, you know, I'd sit down and chat with him and be like, holy crap, I've just learned more by asking a few questions in five minutes than I have in the last, you know, seven years and knowing him. Um, same thing. It's like Ed Milet, one conversation. I'm like, dude, are you kidding me? And the more I do this, the more I get introduced to other people, the more I realize the value in it. So I am actively looking for advice, especially in business. 
Because quite frankly, I don't want to be reliant on having to book an acting job, on having to be able to continue to sell out tours. I plan on it. I hope for it. But I don't want to have to rely on it. So I'm extremely intrigued to continue to learn about <laughs> business and ancillary businesses, other things that I still enjoy that can you know, keep me living a very comfortable life without the enormous stress of what if I get into a motorcycle accident? God forbid. What Cancel. if, I, you know, my entire <laughs> business is my, myself. And if I can't show up and perform, there's a problem. So I got to think, you know, 32 now, I'm starting to think <laughs> about the long game, be smart about it. That's awesome. And that's why I love having you on here as well. And, you know, why Ed Milet, myself, and many others, you know, really enjoy meeting with younger people so that you don't have to pay the dummy tax, that we can give you an MBA in a day uh, to help facilitate and also build other relationships. Uh, that we've been able to build over the years that can accelerate and give you that security. One of my mentors, a, a famous thought leader, I was on a, a TV show called The World's Greatest Motivators with him, Bob Proctor. Have you ever heard of Bob yeah. Proctor? But it was interesting as you're explaining, you know, having the security of other things. Bob Proctor, when I, I lost over $100 million, you probably know, and went bankrupt in 2008. And he was one of my first mentors coming out of bankruptcy. And I said, Bob, what advice do you give? I, I can make money, but I got to figure out how to either maintain it or grow it because I obviously don't know what I'm doing. And you're the first person I want to ask from help from. And he said, this is what we're going to do. He goes, I want you to save $2 million. And I said, what? He goes, before you invest a penny, I want you to save $2 million and recognize what choices and how you make choices have changed when you have nothing to worry about. Right. And yeah, yeah. that's the lesson that I try to teach young athletes, entrepreneurs, entertainers uh, when they build some wealth is that, look, the more you have there, it actually reduces the resistance. It does. If you're disciplined, it's not going to reduce how much you pursue your potential as an actor and an artist and a singer, but it's going to allow you to have less resistance yeah. because there's no fear about if you get it or you don't get it, or if you don't like it, you now walk away, then they pay you twice as much because you're willing to walk away. You can say no, it's so powerful. Yeah. It is, and it's hard to say no uh, for that. How much of that resistance are you aware of in your second chapter? You're young, and I, w I, I wasn't when I was a multimillionaire at 32. I wasn't aware of how much resistance I was creating in my life by not having true freedom of attachment. Yeah, well, I learned that lesson um, by over leveraging, you know, I had a good amount of money in the bank and decided, hey, why not buy another house? I've done well in property and I did and got a really nice, you know, multi-million dollar place that even when they became rentals and I ended up, I just realized, well, wait, wait a second, I've made all this money, but like, why is my business manager saying I shouldn't fly business on this trip? When then I look at my accounts, <laughs> I'm like, I'm, I've got a cash poor, <laughs> you know, like yeah, yeah, yeah. I have all these assets, but I'm stressed about things that I shouldn't be stressed about. And I kept thinking like, I've worked way too damn hard to be straight. Don't tell me not to fly business for, you know, around the world flight. Like not to be arrogant, but I've yeah, earned it. Course. It's my money. Well, and you're more but, productive when you're traveling. Yeah, so. exactly. You wake up rested. You can actually do It's called business for a reason. If you're doing business. Correct. You're going on a vacation. Fuck it. Fly coach. <laughs> um, but, <laughs> but anyways, it really, uh, it was such an eye opener for me. And strange that you said, mine wasn't the $2 million mark, mine was the $1 million mark, where I kind of went back in terms of any investments and property, ended up selling one of the houses. You know, I made money on it, and that's yep. great. But the amount of stress it took for me to get there, even with rentals, I'm in that market still, and I'm considering dissolving being an actual landlord and putting it into some sort of aspect of real estate, I'd love to talk to you about, yep. maybe a fund, because I have to babysit my tenants. 
I don't know who they are, so I guess I can kind of call them out. Still haven't paid this month. What are we on, the 10th? Yeah. You know, it's just obnoxious stuff like that in one of my properties. But it's, it took that stress, sorry, to, to be more concise about it, of being like, dude, I, I've worked way too hard on this for me to realize I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wait and have at least a million dollars liquid before I do my next thing. And that has allowed me to make better decisions because I'm not stressed about needing the money. It's so interesting, too, about the interference that's created when you have this tremendous life that you've earned and all of a sudden you let the little things interfere with your happiness with your ease. I, yeah. I, I equate everything into ease and disease. Yeah. So even, you know, and I'm happy to help you, but when I work with entrepreneurs like you, I was like, let's just take two separate columns. Yeah. Where your money is, is this putting you at ease? Like being able to afford business class puts you at ease. Mm-hmm. Worried about putting yourself in business class puts you at disease <laughs> or having to fly coach. Right. Yeah. And, and you Which know, I was not to be arrogant about it, but it's like, wait a second. I know I've made enough that yeah. I should be able to do this. It's easy to just, well, I had a poor man's mentality and my wife literally had to force me. You know, I used to joke around. I'm the ultimate traveler. I got a long torso and no legs. Mm-hmm. And I'm only five, seven anyway. So I'm like, Oh, don't worry. I can just fly coach. You know, and my wife finally said to me, Dave, if we don't fly first class. Our kids will. You know, so make your choice, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love it. But that. again, I still will. But shorter flights, like I, yeah, of course. I didn't grow up with money, and I don't have a safety net and a trust fund, and so like I'm still pretty acutely aware of wasting money is silly. Because yeah. back to your point about even when you were talking about um, not being gracious, what's the word you used? So appreciative, uh, appreciative, yeah, being that appreciator, got, adding value to everything yeah. you do. Yeah, but that also got me thinking about just the fact, just appreciation in general. Thinking about that compound interest of being a nice person, that compound interest actually of your money. The more I read about it, the more I look at stocks and investment, and it's like 95% of these hedge funds don't beat the market. So you can be a better investor by just being patient and not spending your money and letting it grow. It's one of the lessons I'm learning. And that really is a big differentiator between rich people. There's a lot of rich people. You're driving a Porsche, you got to have enough money to finance it at least, right? Right. Probably rich. And hopefully make the payment. Hopefully make the payment. But then wealthy people, it's entirely different. Wealthy people are rich people who didn't spend as much as the rich people who are now poor people. Yeah. (laughs) It's such a small difference. And I've been both. So I get get it. And last thing real quick, we started with your frequencies, your neighborhood. And, you know, I'm blessed to have you in my neighborhood. And it's amazing. Um, But in our business, we have to be careful because we can take on people that bleed us. We can take on, you can't control who else is in the big rush tour with you. You can't control, you know, who's on a movie with you. You can't control. And there's a lot of time that needs to be spent when you're on tour or on a set. You know, one of the lessons I've learned from being on, you know, mostly TV shows now is man, talk about hurry up and wait. You know, if you want to learn how to be patient, be, be a star like you, uh, cause you have to be patient. How cognizant are you with the people you surround yourself with? Not necessarily mentors and coaches, et cetera, but you have old friends, you have family, and then you have people that you need to be around because you're in business with them. All of them can't be at your frequency. How cognizant are you about letting those people, you know, do what you need to do, but not letting them bring you down? Uh, Quite cognizant these days. You know, I want to give my girlfriend, Caitlin, actually quite a bit of credit here. We started dating about three years ago. And she just came in objective, looking around and kind of started noticing like, oh, you only ever see this person when you're going out drinking. And like, that's fine. But like, you're calling them a best friend. I don't think that's what a best friend is. And I started realizing. Wow. Wow. I, I love her. so wise. For a girl. <laughs> 
And I, I really kind of had to take stock of what are these friends, these people bringing to the equation. And if they're just showing up and being a good time, okay, that's fine. They're your party buddies. Yeah. I don't need party buddies 29 days out of the month. In fact, it's probably more these days. Right. I barely Once a quarter, it. right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's a very small percentage. And so if they're going to be the people that I'm calling my circle, like that's not the right circle. I need to find people that are equally as appreciative of the relationship as I am, especially the, the less and less time you have, the more important it is to spend that free time with people of value. And it's not a financial value. It's an emotional value. It's an emotional intelligence value. It's, it's a conversational value. So I really just let a, a lot of people go. And here's the easiest way to do it. Just start saying no to going out. Yeah. <laughs> you say no enough times, eventually they'll stop inviting you. And if that's all they were doing in the first place, then let them go. It's, it's, it's cathartic. It's the easiest way. And uh, now the friends that I have in my circle, it's small, but I love each and every one of them. I know them better. We have real conversations. We spend real time together. And uh, it's just, I don't know, it's taken me a while and we're still weeding through some, but I'm, I'm really, really uh, blessed that she helped me figure some of that out. Yeah, sounds like an incredible woman. And the fall away or fire approach is one that I had to take to change my life as well, which is why I wanted to see your perspective since it was a serious, critical life issue for me to surround myself with the right people and the right ideas. And I love the fact that, you know, someone is in your ear saying, hey, is that really a friend? And I used to, you know, want everyone to love me and to please. And so my wife would tell me, you know, if they're mad at you, then they're not really your friend. If they're getting mad at you because yeah. you're not going to get high or drink or, you know, have bad behavior, they're really not your friend, are they? And just really struck me. The incredible James Maslow here with me, just dropping bombs of wisdom. <laughs> He's an old soul. We must have known each other in a previous life because we are definitely neighbors. Welcome to my neighborhood and I am welcome to his. We're on the same frequency here on Entrepreneurs, The Playbook.